0: law you, you make clear and I know you believe this is one of the major tenets of the Department of Justice to uphold the rule of law Michael Cohen has a felony on his record spent time in prison for paying at the direction of President Trump hush money to Stormy Daniels and another woman I believe that's pretty well known that President Trump was individual one as described in the indictment he couldn't be indicted because of Department of Justice policy, you don't indict a sitting president. He's no longer a sitting president. Do you believe that not looking into indicting uh, individual one equally, if not more guilty than Michael Cohen, does, is not an abuse of equal protection under the law and an abrogation of the idea that the rule
1: of law is, is, is principle? So, Congressman, and a very important element of the rule of law is the norm of the Justice Department that we don't comment on whether we're investigating what the status of investigations are until, unless and until there's a public charge, that, that's important to protect everyone, whether it be a former president, an existing president, or a public official, or a private individual. I will accept that, but I hope that you will look at it, because I believe that he is equally, if not more, guilty, and
0: it does seem that people get favored treatment if he does not get, if he's not prosecuted. Transparency is important as well.
2: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Maya Culpa podcast. We have spent a great deal of time on Maya culpa, asking the same question over and over and over again. When will Attorney General Merrick Garland start locking up those most responsible for January 6th? And most importantly, when will he fucking prosecute Donald Trump for his many crimes? Now, with the House referral that the DOJ pursue criminal contempt charges against Steve Bannon... Garland can no longer avoid the
1: inevitable. Just throw him in jail. The only person I feel sorry for is a cellmate. You can imagine what that guy smells like. Jeez.
2: On Thursday, Garland was put into the lion's mouth as he deflected questions about whether the Justice Department is investigating legal violations by former President Donald Trump and about the reach of the ongoing probe into the U.S. Capitol riots on January 6th at his first congressional oversight hearing since he arrived to run the Justice Department just seven months ago. So I ask you, Mr. Attorney General, regardless of politics, will the department follow the facts and the law and expeditiously consider the referrals put forth by the
1: select committee if and when they are approved by the full house? The department recognizes the important oversight role that this committee, the House of Representatives, and the Senate play uh, with respect to um, the executive branch. Um, I will say what a uh, spokesperson for the U.S. Attorney's Office in the District of Columbia said I think yesterday or the day before, the House of Representatives votes um, uh, for referral of a contempt charge, um, the, the, uh, um, the Department of Justice will do what it always does in such circumstances, will apply the facts in the law and make a decision consistent with the principles of prosecution.
2: It's a political hand grenade that is perhaps unprecedented in U.S. history had to proceed against an ally of a former president who was accused of dodging a congressional committee investigating an insurrection. Garland is treading lightly in the hopes that the grenade won't blow up in his face or on justice, which is still badly wounded from the abuses of the Trump years.
1: Mayor Garland
0: uh, has to do his job in a timely manner in order for us to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Uh, Steve Bannon and, and anyone else can't flout the law and expect nothing to happen.
2: Already, the matter has put Garland in an uncomfortable position after Biden when asked Friday whether witnesses should be prosecuted for not cooperating with the committee. He said, I do. The department responded with a strikingly forceful statement that said that. It makes its own independent decisions in all prosecutions based solely on the facts and the law, period, full stop. Garland, who had been an appeals court judge for more than two decades before joining the Biden administration this year, told members of the House Judiciary Committee that he is laboring to keep the Justice Department out of politics after four years of chaos during the Trump presidency.
0: The bigger issue, I think, for Merrick Garland right now is what he's going to do with Donald Trump and what he's going to do with Steve Bannon. And the reason why it is so important is that if he does not open an investigation and we have no reason to believe that he has into Donald Trump and his activity in the lead up to January 6th, then including January 6th, but all of his efforts to overturn the election. And then if he also does not enforce Steve Bannon subpoena by criminally charging Steve Bannon with Bannon with contempt of Congress, then I fear that his actions will ultimately lead us to uh, to fail to understand what exactly happened on January 6th.
2: Garland, for his part, has been cautious in his responses to Trump-era abuses in an apparent effort to depoliticize the Justice Department following the grossly over-politicized tenure of William Barr.
1: To dispense the law fairly and impartially, Without respect to persons and without respect to political parties.
3: Merrick Garland, President Joe Biden's attorney general nominee, vowed on Monday to protect the integrity of the Justice Department from partisan influence in an effort to restore confidence after President Donald Trump repeatedly sought to bend the department to his will.
2: But this position is a challenging one to maintain, given that his department is also tasked with confronting abuses of power or potentially outright crimes by Trump and former administration officials.
3: Being attorney general after Trump, that's a job for which you'd need a hazmat suit several days of the week every time you come to work in terms of the proverbial smoking toxic wreckage of the Justice Department left behind by the previous president and the previous attorney general, William Barr. I mean, not even in the worst of Watergate did we see such a blatant record of the U.S. Justice Department upending independent law enforcement to instead do favors for the president's friends. I mean, Trump appointees and his attorney general literally intervened at the sentencing phase of cases against Trump's friends to get them off the hook after they had been convicted or pled guilty. They waltzed in at the sentencing phase to say, no, 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 we got to clean this up. These guys can't actually get in trouble. They're the president's friends. I mean, if you're Merrick Garland taking over the Justice Department after they just spent, you know, all that time doing, doing that, how do you clean that up?
2: Many of us wept with joy upon hearing that Merrick Garland would be named attorney general. I, for one, was also. He was known and continues to be a man of uncommon principle denied his rightful place in the Supreme Court by a recalcitrant GOP who stalled Obama's favorite nominee and then stacked the courts for themselves to the right, Garland was supposed to lead the de-Trumpification of these post-MAGA years. The Justice Department was so badly sought through the Mueller probe and two impeachments would finally be delivered.
4: But it's really important to go after Donald Trump and
2: for
0: prosecutors to focus on on finding evidence and if they have enough
4: evidence to actually prosecute him for the crimes committed in office. Um, Because if we do not do that, he laid out a roadmap that makes very clear for future American tyrants How do you serve American democracy? Um, And and so it's, it's really important for Congress to act now with urgency to restrain future presidents from abusing their power. And if they don't do that, then the collapse of American democracy is not a matter of if, but when.
2: I personally harbored illusions that sooner or later, Garland would punish the bad actors of the Trump era with a swift sword of justice. Instead, the department under Garland sided with Trump and Barr on key questions, including his continued defense of the former president in the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit. Well, this is one of those times when the Justice Department is taking a position defending the government's interest and protecting federal employees from lawsuits, even though it does mean taking the side of the former president. It was a sign that Garland would not be the person we so badly wanted, willing to beat back the MAGA menace by putting its leaders behind bars. He has proven to be, if anything, more of a radical institutionalist, hoping to restore the Justice Department to a pre-Trump, pre-built bar universe before it was tarnished by politics.
3: I think the biggest change actually that Merrick Garland wants to make is in how we view the Department of Justice. I think the biggest thing
2: he wants to do is show the American people that this department can be an independent agency, that it can be a place where regardless of who the president is and who he knows and what his associates do, that this is a place where it's a federal department that works for the american people should garland fail to quickly initiate a contempt prosecution against bannon once it gets to his doorstep it will be a signal that trump loyalists will continue to have impunity in breaking the law it could also be an invitation for them to commit even more crimes against the democratic process in the future
5: so merrick garland why don't you book the 310 to yuma right now Because there is under no, there's no possibilities, brother, that you're going to stop this. Let me just say this again. There is zero chance the Biden administration is going to be, the mask is going to be ripped off. You're going to be exposed for the exact illegitimate phonies you are. And Merrick Garland, you little wimp, you can come out there to that microphone all you want. Take the 310 to Yuma, Bubba, because they got a jail cell for you. You're not going to shut this down.
2: In unusually pointed comments about a member of President Biden's cabinet, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff says he vehemently disagrees with Attorney General Merrick Garland's failure so far to aggressively investigate former President Donald Trump for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. And other matters.
5: Look, I think there's a real desire uh, on the part of the attorney general uh, for the most part not to look backward. Um, do I disagree with that? Um, I do disagree with that. Uh, and I disagree with it most vehemently uh, when it comes to what I consider uh, even more serious offenses. Uh, for example, a taped conversation of Donald J. Trump on the phone with Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state from Georgia, uh, trying to course him into fraudulently finding 11,780 votes.
2: Schiff suggested that the lack of criminal consequences for Trump would create a double standard in American law enforcement.
5: Because I think if you or I did that, we'd be under indictment by now. Uh, In my view, you don't ignore the crimes that have been committed by a president of the United States. They need to be investigated. You may reach the judgment once you've investigated something. Uh, that uh, the the public interest in not prosecuting a former president outweighs uh, the, the interests of justice. But I don't think you could ignore the crimes.
2: He said that maybe I'm wrong, and that justice is secretly collecting evidence from a grand jury into Trump's efforts to pressure state officials in Georgia to overturn the election results in that state, which favored Biden.
5: Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is exactly what the Justice Department is doing, and they're doing a very good job of grand jury hearings into what happened in Georgia and and it's just not becoming public. But I, I suspect that they're they're counting on the Fulton County D.A. to do justice and I And I don't think that that uh, is is how we ought to view the magnitude of that effort to overturn the election.
2: There is also one area where Garland appears particularly willing to take forceful action. The January 6th attack on the Capitol by a pro-Trump mob. That unprecedented attack on American democracy has shadowed Garland's entire tenure as Attorney General. Biden's announcement that he would nominate Garland came one day after the attack. In prepared remarks for his testimony before the House Judiciary Committee on Thursday, Garland said that federal agents had arrested more than 650 people for storming Capitol Hill.
1: Finally, Keeping our country safe requires protecting its democratic institutions, including the one we sit in today, from violent attack. As the committee is well aware, the department is engaged in one of the most sweeping investigations in its history in connection with the January 6th attack on the Capitol.
2: But it remains to be seen just how far Garland's aggressiveness on January 6th will go. A growing chorus of commentators is urging him to pursue criminal contempt charges against Trump advisor and pardon recipient Steve Bannon for refusing to testify to the House committee on his role in the attack should garland fail to quickly initiate a contempt prosecution against bannon once it gets to his doorstep it will be a signal that trump loyalists will continue to have impunity in breaking the law slates jeremy Stahl wrote earlier this week it could also be an invitation for them to commit even more crimes against the democratic process in the future
0: if we don't prosecute him then what we are doing is we are encouraging tomorrow's version of Donald Trump. We have to prosecute today's version of Donald Trump to send the message that we will not tolerate a runaway criminal president.
2: It could also come to nothing. The time it would take for contempt charges to work their way through, the courts could very well push the matter past the midterm elections, at which point a newly installed Republican House majority would likely pull the plug on the investigation itself. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mayor Culpa is Miles Taylor, who famously served as the deputy chief of staff in the Homeland Security, only to blow the whistle on the Trump administration with an anonymous op-ed that pulled the lid off the dysfunction and madness lurking inside the West Wing. After resigning from the Trump administration, Taylor joined fellow never-Trump Republicans in campaigning against his former boss. He is a frequent guest on CNN and MSNBC and offers a warning to those who find themselves suddenly complacent. The midterms are coming, and should the GOP retake the majority, the fucking lunatics will once again be running the asylum. With that in mind, Taylor joins us today as he launches his latest initiative— The Project for American Renewal, which urges Republican voters to support Democratic candidates in a last-ditch effort to divorce the GOP from the MAGA extremism. Taylor and former New Jersey Governor Christine Todd Whitman published an op-ed in the New York Times that served as a kind of warning shot against the bow of Republicans who continue to carry Trump's poison. Rational Republicans are losing the GOP civil war, Taylor and Whitman wrote. And the only near-term way to battle pro-Trump extremists is for all of us to team up on key races and overarching political goals with our longtime political opponents, the Democratic Party. This is another blockbuster episode, folks, so let's go now to that conversation. Alrighty, Miles. So I want to start by asking you about your latest initiative, and I'm extremely impressed with it, called the Renew America Movement, where anti-Trump Republicans will actually go out and endorse Democrats running in difficult re-election campaigns. Now, you're a lifelong Republican. Why is it important for you to see Democrats keep the House and the Senate in 2022?
4: Well, Michael, the short answer is because my party, the Republican Party, remains an unreformed party that I can't even believe I'm saying it is, is semi-authoritarian. I mean, as long as the leaders of the Republican Party, people like Kevin McCarthy in the House of Representatives and Mitch McConnell in the Senate, continue to uh, bow down at the altar of Trumpism and let this Trump influence continue to control the party, uh, then 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 we can't be trusted to run the House uh, or the Senate, but especially the House. And here's what worries me. If you, know, if you look back at what happened in 2020, um, Republicans were all too willing to overturn the election results. God forbid that Kevin McCarthy, who's basically the ghost of Donald Trump, is providing over that haunted house uh, come uh, 2024, when there's another presidential election and, and potentially uh, you know, could overturn those election results. So I think that's a big worry for us And, um, you know, it's not an easy thing to say. We're asking people who consider themselves conservatives, who've spent a lot of their careers, uh, you know, fighting against the other side, the Democrats, to put a pause and put country over party and to reach across the aisle and align with Democrats to elect unifying pragmatists in key battleground races to keep Republicans from taking the majority uh, of the Congress at the moment. So, you know, we're not not saying Republicans uh, like me should spend the rest of their lives voting Democrat or even to become Democrats, but that much like we did in the last election cycle, where we teamed up with Democrats to elect Joe Biden instead of Donald Trump, we need to do that again in key races around the country because Donald Trump has created mini-Trumps all across America. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gaetz and Madison Cawthorn, these people are mini-Trumps and in some cases are even worse than Trump because they're smarter than Trump. Uh, and and so we've got to go out and defeat those folks and defeat them by supporting principled pragmatists, both on the center right and the center left. So Renew America movement has released a list of basically good guys and bad guys, uh, good Republicans and some good moderate Democrats. We're going to support. We're urging people to back that slate. And then actually next week, Michael, we'll be releasing um, You know the worst of the worst list, a list of dividers around the country that we're going to try to defeat. Uh, And and all of them are Republicans in that case, unfortunately.
2: And where can you find that list, by the way, Miles?
4: So folks go to renewamericamovement.com. They can see who the renewers are. They also can see how they can actually go help these people now, Uh, how they can engage, how they can support these unifying moderates around the country. Um, And then when we release our dividers list, it'll be there too. And it'll be clear how they can jump into the fight Uh, to go after these extremists that are in Congress. I mean, that's all this boils down to is we've created an organization to go stand up for the good guys and go take out the bad guys. And that's the most important thing for us to do in this next election cycle.
2: You know, what's funny, Miles, is we always mention, at least I do too often on this show, uh The names that everybody recognizes being the fucked up Republicans, the Mitch McConnells, the Marjorie Taylor greens, the josh Hawleys, the Matt Gateses, and he's got all other sorts of problems you know going on. but there are other names that come to mind now, especially after watching yesterday 's debacle after watching the hearing on the January sixth commission, and you see I mean, you see the few votes by Republicans in order to hold the January 6th insurrection for what it was, an attempted coup on our government. I mean, there's one guy in particular, I, he, look, I was having a rough day today, you know, I have 30 days left on this home confinement. Yesterday was 31. It was a little bit of a rough day for me, but Representative Ken Buck actually made me laugh yesterday. Now, I wasn't laughing with him. I was laughing at him because what a fucking moron this guy is. And they all think that they're clever when they take out these little billboards that they create or they have one of their assistants create. Ken Buck starts to press Attorney General Merrick Garland, who my feeling was he looked incredibly weak yesterday, Um, not poised at all. For who he is and the job that we need him to fulfill. But they pressed Merrick, he presses Merrick Garland yesterday about ethics concerns. Not anything to do with the January 6th insurrection. Nothing to do with the, you know, brave police officers and, you know, who were injured or killed. Nothing like that. Nothing about the fact that they built a gallow in order to hang Mike Pence or looking to kill. Um, Nancy Pelosi. None of that. What is what is Representative Ken Buck interested in? This idiot is interested in concerns surrounding Hunter Biden's artwork. And he comes up and he shows a picture of a Monet sold at Christie's Sotheby's, one of the big art houses, for seven hundred thousand dollars. And then he shows another piece of art by um, Degas, uh, which is also sold from a big. You know, art you know um house for five hundred thousand dollars, and then he decides to show Hunter Biden's art, which sold for half a million dollars as well. And here's a quote from him, and you might think that he had some sort of apprenticeship with a world renowned artist, but you would be wrong again if you thought that Buck says, or perhaps that he has been selling his works for years. And again, unfortunately, you would be wrong. Now, this goes on and on and on. And I just found the whole thing to be, it's not even ridiculous. It's its absolutely stupid. You're there in order to learn about who was involved in the January 6th insurrection. And this ass clown wants to fucking talk about Hunter Biden's art. Now, I will say, That what I agree with is that if whoever it is that bought Hunter Biden's artwork is doing it in order to offset some benefit that he received because Hunter spoke to his father, I'm with him on that. But that's not what he's talking about. Don't show me that somebody bought Hunter's piece of art, if that's what you want to call it, um, for half a million dollars. right? How about this guy Beeple's who sold an NFT, a non-fungible token? for 60 million dollars right the art world is not something trust me that ken buck understands why they're buying it from hunter biden i don't know but if in fact it has something to do with a you know um a quid pro quo yes i would have a problem find the quid pro quo and bring it to the attorney general don't talk about it the way that that he did bringing out you know You know, masters art. You know, uh, master artists, and then comparing it to Hunter Biden as if you just figured out. You know, the key to Rubik's Cube.
4: I mean, I would say, where was Ken Buck when Donald Trump brought Ivanka into a paid position as an advisor in the White House? Where was Ken Buck when Donald Trump brought his son-in-law Jared Kushner into a position in the White House where he was second guessing? Senate approved cabinet secretaries. Where was Ken when Donald Trump really reached the apex of handouts to his family using his federal position? Um, I don't remember Ken saying anything about that, yet he's taking a moment that really should be focused on, as you rightfully note, Michael, uh, a very somber moment in the history of our democracy and hijacking it to have a senseless conversation about artwork. Now, I agree with you. Look, if there's if there's something there, then sure, let authorities look into it. But the difference between Hunter Biden uh, and those who worked under Trump that Ken said nothing about is Hunter Biden doesn't even work in this fucking administration. He doesn't work there. He doesn't work for Joe Biden. He doesn't work in the White House. He doesn't have an office there. He's a private citizen. And yes, he's the son of the president of the United States. Um, but but why are we wasting American taxpayer time and dollars? Uh, talking about finger paintings of presidential kids instead of talking about, as you know, what was nearly a coup of the federal government on January 6th. So look, people like that, people like Ken Buck, if they continue to prioritize politics over the country and over our democracy's guardrails, they'll end up on the shit list of organizations like Renew America. I mean, we will go after people like that and their races if they aren't doing their jobs. And that's that's where we're gonna start next week, Mike, when we release this dividers list to say, look, this is the start of a list of Republican members of Congress who don't stand up for actual Republican values. Look, I'm, I'm a member of the party of Lincoln and I ideologically and intellectually can defend what it means to be a conservative. A lot of these people aren't even conservatives. I mean, there was someone on the, on the right who the other day uh, said that, uh, you know, someone in Maga Land who said they didn't think Marjorie Taylor Greene was really Republican, they thought she was a socialist. And and I've got to agree, Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't really stand up for the values of free minds, free markets, and free people. In fact, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene believes in closed mindedness and conspiracy theories, closed markets protectionism and nativism, uh, and, and autocracy. And it's the opposite of what the party of Lincoln was originally founded to focus on. So look, folks like her have obviously gotten all the attention, but Michael, you rightfully point out that there's a lot of other members of Congress Uh, that have escaped being put in the crazy bucket. And, And I hate to say it, but just the other day, we also saw the number two Republican in the House of Representatives, Steve Scalise, the majority whip, could not say on national television that the election wasn't stolen. They pressed him and they pressed him and he refused to say that the election wasn't stolen. The number two Republican in the House still can't admit that there's a conspiracy theory out there uh, that you know, Joe Biden and team stole the election. I worked in that administration. You know that, we've talked about it. One of my close friends, Chris Krebs, was a, an appointee of Donald Trump. He was in charge of election security. He was Donald Trump's right-hand man for election security. And he came out after the election and he said, this is one of the freest, fairest, and most secure elections in modern times. What did Trump do? He fired him for saying that. But Trump's own people said it was free and fair. So if, if Steve Scalise, the number two Republican, can't get on board with that months later, then he too should be added to the shit list. He too should be considered in the ranks of radical Republicans.
2: Well, he should. Now, it's funny because I don't want to get off of, um, you know, a dear friend, uh, Mr. Buck, over here for a second. But what I find always interesting is this is all being played to a party of one, to Donald Trump, first and foremost, and then afterwards to their constituents especially in a, in a state where you know, they are, for some unknown reason, still stuck into the cult of Trump. And here's language that you know, dear old Buck decided to use. It is now apparent that President Biden could be directly implicated. Now, as a former lawyer, being that I'm now disbarred, that doesn't mean that I've lost my sanity or that I've lost my deductive capabilities, when you use the word apparent, it's almost as if you're stating that it's factual. It is now apparent that President Biden, and then here goes the transition, could be directly implicated in the ongoing investigations into his son's money transfers and dealings, raising serious questions regarding whether then-Vice President Joe Biden was aware of and possibly benefited, again, possibly benefited from the influence peddling operation led by his son. Now, we could unpack this thing for days. This could be an entire law school exam question on why this entire statement is not just inaccurate, but it's inappropriate. You, I hope you agree with what, with what I'm saying here possibly benefit from? How about facts matter? How about no more innuendo? Because it's the innuendo that Donald Trump showed everybody how to play in order to go out, raise money amongst your concerns. Yeah, fuck Joe Biden and fuck Hunter Biden. These two guys are grifting off of America. Who's the greatest grifter in the history of this country? Donald Trump. How much shit do you think Jared Kushner, whose office was right outside the Oval Office, was involved in? How the fuck do you think he ended up refinancing 666 Fifth Avenue? The worst fucking real estate deal in the history of New York done by a senior advisor to President Donald J. Trump because he's such a genius. And how many times did we hear about Ivanka with her China, um, you know, shoot? Uh, contracts and all of her, um, corporation names and so on. I mean, you're talking about a family of the greatest grifters in the history of America. So what do you do? You deflect. This is Donald's strength. You deflect. And that's what this guy is doing here. And And he should be ashamed of himself. And actually he should be on your renew America movement list. Well,
4: here's, here's what's, um, really striking to me, Michael, about Ken Buck, if you go back and, and look historically at his statements, um, Ken Buck is the same guy who begged Nancy Pelosi to back off the impeachment of Donald Trump. The same guy who said that de- Democrats were going overboard and they were on an impeachment you know, binge and uh, really, really criticized the Democratic party for in his view politicizing impeachment. That same Ken Buck has called for Joe Biden's impeachment. And in fact, he didn't first call for Joe Biden's impeachment while Biden was president. Ken Buck called for Joe Biden's impeachment in February of 2020. So almost a year before Joe Biden became president, Ken Buck said we could still impeach him for his time as vice president of the United States. Biden had even, hadn't even won, and Ken Buck was already politicizing impeachment. This is just totally naked hypocrisy we're seeing from some of these folks that on the one hand, they say, don't impeach my guy and the Democrats are politicizing it. And then out of the other side of their mouths, what do they do? They politicize this very somber, sobering tool of government, impeaching a lawfully elected president of the United States. And and we see that hypocrisy, not just from Ken Buck, but from other uh, members of the Republican caucus. Um, you know, I hate to keep going back to Marjorie Taylor Greene, but just two days ago, she said that we need to uh, impeach, remove, and convict Joe Biden. I mean, look, I don't agree with Joe Biden on a lot of different issues. I did think he was uh, preferable to Donald Trump. I've been disappointed on foreign and defense policy, but I don't think Joe Biden needs to be impeached and convicted. I, I don't. I don't see any legal rationale for that whatsoever. But they are throwing around this talk so loosely um, that I think that those words themselves risk undermining uh, our democratic system and and really diminishing the stability of our democracy. So I'm worried about it. And, And you're right, Michael. I mean, folks like this, we need to go after them in their elections because they only speak one language. And it's the language of Trump. It's the language of winning and losing. It's the only language they speak. So the way to get their attention is to deliver electoral defeat. That's how we're going to finally reform the Republican Party. Is to defeat the extremists on the right wing and show them that they cannot get to fifty. They cannot get to a majority without moderates and rational people uh, in in the center.
2: I mean, I just couldn't believe it was only eight or nine Republicans that ended up voting yesterday regarding this. So yep. you know, look, as you're going to be active out there with the Renew America movement. I would like to make sure that Ken Buck is on uh, your list, and I want to help you out for a quick second here, because I know he's from Colorado. Now, I don't know how many Jews are living in Colorado, right? But here's the slogan for you. Ken Buck is a schmuck. And I think that in and of itself should wipe it out and we should end up being able to get rid of him and whoever else is coming in. I mean, that's all you have to do. I mean, just Michael, to him.
4: Isn't, isn't there an easier one there? Isn't there a better thing that rhymes with Buck that could make its way onto a bumper sticker? Maybe it's not something you want the kids to see, but uh, there, there might be a better rhyming scheme there for the, for the sharp tongue.
2: Yeah, but there's always <laughs> funny stuff when it comes to Yiddish words. You know, Yiddish words are just funny in and of themselves. Right. You know, so could you imagine driving and you see on the back of a bumper you know, on the back of a car and a bumper sticker? Ken Buck is a schmuck. I mean, I just think it's it's the kind of thing where a kid already knows the word. Right. And you can use it without getting thrown out of class or getting detention. I just think it's like a great slogan. Ken Buck is a schmuck. Right. It's Trust me, use it. I'll pay for the bumper stickers. I
4: I, would urge anyone who's listening to help do a mock-up and send it uh, to Michael. We'd love to see that on social media. (laughs) We would also love to see if anyone's willing to do a mock-up of a bumper sticker that says buck off and has got Ken Buck getting thrown off a raging bull, a mechanical bull. I would like to see that. And if someone can get me a good graphic of that, I'll tweet it. So, uh, so maybe one of your listeners, Michael, can send that along. I know there's good graphics designers out there.
2: Yeah, please do it at MichaelCohen212. All right, let me keep moving here. Miles, do you think there are enough moderate Republicans left to push back against this MAGA agenda and the right, the party, or have they just simply become Democrats
4: yeah. I So I do think there are enough. And, and and let me give you some details and I'll try not to get into the, the proprietary nature of it. You know, we just went in deep into a poll, a private poll that was done by some uh, really, really good political operatives to look at, you know, voters across the country and, and where they stand. And one of the things that we found is uh, that there are something on the order of 40 million center right voters in this country who are very, very Um, in line with our cause, 40 million Republicans who believe we got to move beyond Trump and they believe it and they're very convicted of it. Now there's, there's more swing voters on the GOP side who would like for us to move the conversation along, but that's a pretty darn big cohort who are willing to fight on this side. Now, do we see that represented in Congress? Unfortunately, no, I mean, we've only got a dozen or so rational Republicans who have really stood up to the party and stood up for what's right. But at the grassroots around the country, Americans are ready to move on. And I'll give you another data point. We saw that in 2020, and that's what Renew America movement is trying to do again, is in 2020, 7% of Republicans nationwide who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 flipped. They flipped sides and they voted for a Democrat. They voted for Joe Biden, 7%. That's millions of Republicans who had supported Trump before. And like you and me, Michael, changed sides and said, we cannot accept that this guy is the leader of the free world. And they voted against him. That shows us that there is at least a core nucleus of rational Republicans around the country who not only can influence elections, but can be majority makers. They are the ones that put Joe Biden in the White House. If those Republicans hadn't have flipped, Joe Biden would not have won key battleground states and Donald Trump would be in his second term. So what we're trying to do is get into these battleground states in the midterm elections, get to those same Republicans, get to more of them and convince them, look, for the sake of our democracy in this cycle, you should support a couple of good unifying Democrats. We're not asking them to support the AOCs of the world. And look, the Democratic Party has its own problem with extremism. There's folks on the far left who are corrupting Uh, their party. But it's not the same as the Republican Party trying to overturn the guardrails of democracy or to dismantle them, rather. So that's why we've identified good, strong, unified, unifying, principled, pragmatic Democrats around the country that Republicans can support. And if they support them, you know, we can keep people like Kevin McCarthy out of power until the GOP fixes its act.
2: You know, it's funny, Wes, I was watching the hearing yesterday where they were Republicans were just grilling uh, Merrick Garland. Obviously, you know it brought me back to the time that I went and I testified on live television before the House Oversight Committee. But not to be forgotten, that I also testified behind closed doors in the skiff uh, nine different times to various different organizations. So I can appreciate, uh, you know, what Merrick Garland was going through. The things that bother me when I was there, I'm sure we're bothering Merrick on because you could see that he had a weird expression on his face. And I think he was sort of trapped between what he could say, what he wanted to say, and what he eventually said. But picture picture this. Matt Gates, who's now being investigated for underage sex trafficking for a multitude of other issues as well, is grilling him on ethics and grilling him on things. How is it that somebody like Matt Gates and I bring him up simply because nothing that he was asking had anything to do legitimately with Merrick Garland. It was all about really Trumpism and trying to make a point not one that the country is interested in, but rather one that only Donald Trump is interested in. How do you stop people like a Matt Gates from even being allowed to be on these committees, especially while they're being investigated?
4: well i you know michael, I think the the sweet irony here is that the person who's most likely to stop folks like Matt Gates from uh politicizing their jobs is the man that he was grilling, is <laughs> Merrick Garland. I mean, that that irony was not lost in me that, uh, you know, Matt was asking questions to a man who runs the U.S. Department of Justice, which may or may not bring the hammer down at some point on on Matt Gates. So we, we'll see where that one leads. But I think that's interesting. In the long run, though, you know, the way that we deal with Matt Gaetz is uh, the Matt Gateses of the world, I think, is, is frankly... Going back to something I said earlier, you got to speak their language, winning and losing, and you got to show them that they're going to lose for taking the positions that they've taken. Now it's tough because we have a problem around this country in that the two major political parties—it's not just the Republican Party—have really stacked the rules in their favor in blue states and red states. So it, you know, with gerrymandering and uh, you know the partisan line drawing and closed primaries. Uh, it's, it's become a much less competitive political landscape. So folks like Matt Gates can get away with the craziness while really not actually representing the majority of people in their district and, and the silent majority of folks who just want uh, rational elected leaders. These primaries end up elevating the most extreme folks out there. So what we need to do in the long-term to get rid of the Matt Gateses of the world, the long-term solution to what ails us in this democracy is to increase choice and increase competition. And you do that by breaking the barriers of those laws in key states around the country to make it easier for third parties and independent candidates to run for office, uh, to open up primaries, to implement things like ranked choice voting. What that ends up doing is increasing representation, again, for the majority uh, and for rational voters out there. And it gets better public officials in office. So that's what we have to do in the long term. and And Renew America is focused on that long-term vision over the coming years and decades to make sure that we revise those laws and get more sanity back in our politics. But in the short term, Michael, the way to hold those people accountable isn't for us necessarily to tweet at them or even to podcast about them. It's for us to go beat them at the polls. And so that's what we're going to try to do is beat these folks at the polls at uh, Renew America Movement.
2: Now, I want to just take a second and compare Matt Gaetz's ridiculous question, was had nothing to do with why Merrick Garland was there in the first place, yeah. to somebody like Congressman Steve Cohen of Tennessee, no relation, by the way, right? Congressman Cohen asks the attorney general straight out whether any employees of the Department of Justice involved in promoting former President Donald Trump's Stop the Steal campaign are still with the department. Now, I think that's an extremely relevant and pertinent question. Do you want to know if any of these people that tried to overthrow our democracy are still working for the DOJ? Now, he also suggested that the former president identified in court documents in my specific campaign finance case as individual number one should be prosecuted for his role in the illegal payments, right, to both Stormy Daniels as well as Karen McDougal. Now, these are relevant to Merrick Garland, to his job, these are the kind of questions that you're supposed to be asking. Instead, what did the Republicans do? The same shit that they did to me. They take their five minutes. They bash the shit out of you. They call you everything in the, in the book, incompetent, uh, disgraced, going to prison, convicted liar. But they don't get to any substantive question. because, And I really appreciated this by uh, by Congressman Cohen. this is his words, Michael Cohen has a felony on his record, spent time in prison for paying at the direction of President Trump hush money to Stormy Daniels and another woman. He goes on to say, I believe that it's pretty well known that President Trump was individual number one, as described in the indictment. Now, he couldn't be indicted because the Department of Justice Policy stated that you don't indict a sitting president. But here's the question everybody's asking. He's no longer a sitting president, right? Do you believe that not looking into including individual number one equally, if not more guilty than Michael Cohen, is not an abuse of equal protection under the law and an abrogation of the idea that the rule of law is principle? Now, that's the type of intelligent and poignant question that you ask an attorney general, because the answer to this question is the exact basis for why everybody was there in the first place.
4: yeah, michael, they um there's an old saying that uh, Washington, d c is Hollywood for ugly people. And uh, I think that that more and more has turned out to be the case because you look at these hearings, and those members of Congress on the Republican side care more about creating a, a viral social media moment for themselves rather than getting answers to important questions from the US Attorney General or, or whoever it is that sits in front of them. And I've seen it firsthand. I've sat in that row, that back bench behind members of Congress. I was a senior staffer on Capitol Hill once upon a time. And nothing disheartened me more than to see members of Congress turn their question and answer time into uh, a show and, and into a, a, a paid you know, you know, know, commercial advertisement that they could go clip and run on the internet. And that's what some of these folks that you referenced at the hearing yesterday were doing. They were just putting on a show to go get social media fame, to be popular back in their districts. That is not why we elect you. That's not why we send you to Capitol Hill. We don't send you there so that you can join the cast of Hollywood for ugly people. We send you there to represent us and get the job done and get answers to real questions Americans are asking. So when it came to the January 6th hearing, with Merrick Garland, then the question's damn well better be about that or issues relevant to Merrick Garland and his portfolio, but not folks showboating and trying to get attention and and get famous online and get more Twitter followers. But far too many of these far-right extremists in Congress just want social media fame. And look, there's there's folks on the far left who want it too, but um, that's what they care about. That's what they crave. That's what they're spending their time Focused on and and for you know if if for no other reason that's why people like that should be kicked out of Congress is they're just not doing their jobs. Uh, if you want to go spend time, you know, making friends on social media and getting influencers, go to L.A. But don't go to Washington D.C. Yeah,
2: I mean, then they started attacking the Clintons and with uh, Tinio and the Clinton Foundation and so on. the the rel- There is no relevance. But let me ask you this: the new litmus for a Donald Trump endorsement is what? The support of a big lie. Now, you said last week that you found the willingness of these politicians to debase themselves for Trump spooky as hell. I'm curious what you meant by it being spooky. Is it the fact that he's creating an army of lobotomized foot soldiers willing to destroy the electoral democracy of this country in order to be elected? What was your thoughts there?
4: Well, uh... I'll tell you this, you don't know this, Michael, I actually spent a good bit of my time working on quantum computing policy, and and that's required me to learn a little bit about quantum physics. And I'm no physicist, but um, Donald Trump must know more about quantum physics than me because he's created uh, a multiverse. He's created parallel universes where there's a whole different set of facts and an entirely different reality. And, um, you know, I think it was Einstein who um, said that quantum physics was spooky. And I find Donald Trump creating parallel universes as pretty spooky. And I said, spooky as hell, because it's not just in Washington, D.C., that you see these politicians uh, talking about the big lie and, and perpetuating this genuine myth about what happened in 2020. But now you hear it when you go to barbecues. You hear it when you're at the grocery store. I mean, I heard people talking about it next to my table at dinner last night in Washington, D.C. I mean, these conversations are just happening all around us. And it's not like they bubbled up organically. It started at the top. It started with one man uh, and it started with the president, former president of the United States, perpetuating a complete myth. I mean, again, I already mentioned my friend Chris Krebs. He was in charge of election security. He was in charge of election security. And he said it was one of the safest and most secure elections in modern history. He was Trump's right hand man for the elections there was no stolen election it didn't exist but somehow in the minds of millions of americans it does exist but it's even scarier than that michael and and the part that spooks me the most is that those people who believe the lie aren't just angry but they're jumping the vitriol is jumping the tracks to violence and so a poll came out a few weeks ago from the university of chicago i've been talking a lot about this poll and i and i encourage folks to look it up online but that poll found that Um, almost 10% of Republicans uh, that they pulled, sorry, almost 10% of U.S. adults they pulled, not just Republicans, believed that political violence was justified to restore Donald Trump to the White House. Almost one in 10 American adults in this country believe that we should use violence to put Trump back in the White House. That's a coup. That is civil war. Um, and that is terrifying. And when you dig deeper into those numbers, uh, University of Chicago found that I think something along the lines of you know a million Americans consider themselves to be part of uh, militia groups or or armed extremist groups. Which, by my count, having overseen you know work on domestic terrorism, is a fourfold increase, at least a fourfold increase, not a tenfold increase, on the number of domestic extremists that we saw, uh, you know, four years ago in this country. I mean, we, you know, with the FBI and DHS monitor those threats. We monitor those numbers and trends. There's been an explosion of individuals who align with domestic extremist causes in the United States. And that's why when people throw around words like civil war, I used to think, whoa, 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 that's really loaded rhetoric and loaded talk. Let's not have those, you know, conversations. But now the numbers are starting to show this creeping support in our politics for political violence. That's why it's scary. That's why it's spooky as hell. That's why words uh, like uh, rigged election that Donald Trump used are like a loaded gun because they go into the hands of his supporters who use them to justify violence. It's not okay. We've got to excise this sort of talk from our politics. And if we don't, if we don't, America, as I've said before, may not reach its 300th birthday.
2: Well, it's funny that you say that because it wasn't just the University of Chicago who put out a poll, but there was a survey that was done by the American Enterprise Institute that found virtually the same thing. I mean, it was three out of 10 Americans and four out of 10 Republicans believed that, you know, if the elected officials will not protect America, the people must do it themselves, even if it requires violent actions. Now, I don't know where this brainwashing is coming from. You know, I worked for Trump for over a decade. And while I was in the cult, we never beat any, well, that's not true, Keith Schiller beat up a few people, which we saw the other day, right? I'm blown away that nobody actually asked me to speak on that, I was in the fucking room for that shit. Uh, you know, and it was something that Donald always wanted to portray his strength. Like if somebody ever threw something at him, Keith was required to put them in the hospital. You know, like what happened to Bill, like what happened to Bill Gates when someone threw a, a cupcake or something at him. So Trump always would say, if anybody ever throws a cupcake at me, or if they throw a tomato or something, Keith, I want you to put him in the hospital. I mean, it, this is just the asshole that we're talking about here. And sadly enough, I'm watching. I don't know if it was on uh, YouTube or TikTok or something like that. Masterson, who was on the show, was interviewing, I believe it was Masterson, was interviewing some guy at some fair. And he turned around and refused to acknowledge not just that Joe Biden was the president right now, but that he was even living in the White House. It's a scam. Donald is still in the White House. So he says, well, then why does... Why is it that Joe Biden is always the guy coming out of the front door and not Donald Trump? Why is Donald Trump right now in New York during depositions? And the guy refused to acknowledge. And we're not talking about a young guy. He was an old guy. I don't know if the guy suffered from dementia or it was just, you know, stupidity, maybe drank too much moonshine. But whatever it was, the guy was looking straight straight into the camera and saying, Donald Trump is the president of the United States. He was last um, the last term, and he is this term. And so the guy to him, well, who has the nuclear codes? Who has the ability? Donald Trump. And the fact that somebody could be so delusional, right? Okay, say that we don't believe the election results. That's stupid enough. But to say that right now the current president of the United States is Donald Trump, and it's more than just this one old man. It's many people, and that's what these surveys are showing, and you're right, it's scary as hell.
4: I mean, it was one thing, Michael, to you know, grow up. We all knew people who thought the moon landing was faked and uh, you know, believed we were on the cusp of finding the lost city of Atlantis, but they were just kind of fringe folks in your neighborhood or in your community. But Donald Trump became the standard bearer and the champion of conspiracy theorists, and he mainstreamed these conspiracy theories. Uh, Believing the moon landing was faked doesn't necessarily, uh, isn't necessarily a conspiracy theory that's gonna undermine our democracy. But believing that the democratic process itself is rigged is something that gets to the heart of who we are as a people and really has the capacity to do long-term damage to our republic. You know, you've said this before, Michael, it is genuinely not dissimilar from what we saw in the 1920s in Germany with this stabbed in the back myth that was propagated in Germany that their leaders had stabbed them in the back by you know ending World War 1 uh, on losing terms and it's something that Hitler later used as justification to come to power in the 1930s and storm his way across Europe i mean Donald Tr- you know Trump is tilling the fertile soil for potential hitlers in the west That sounds very hyperbolic for me to say that, but it's the truth. That's what this sort of broad-based conspiracy theorist activity does. And we've seen it in the modern day, in third world countries, and now it's arrived at the footstep of Western democracy. And so now is a time for all rational people to rise up against that and and to see, you know, you've cited the polls, you've cited the numbers. This is not Miles and Michael just making shit up. Uh, you know, go look at that poll that came out a couple of weeks ago that showed the majority of Southern Republicans, majority of Republicans in the American South believe that they should secede from the United States. A majority, not 10 percent or 15 no, percent. This is this is you know? very
2: this is very important. This is not Miles Taylor, and Michael Cohen making shit up. Then that would be Christopher Steele. But, you know, you tweeted. <laughs> he's such a fucking jerk off, too. Now, and I suspect that this is why that you tweeted. Uh, a photo of yourself last week on Morning Joe that had a caption next to it, the face of a man losing sleep over the pro Trump madness. So I suspect that this is probably what was going on in your mind when you were saying that the lunatics can take over the asylum in 2022.
4: You know, people use that that aphorism sort of jokingly, but, uh, you know, my, my partner can confess on my behalf that last night I didn't sleep terribly well and you know, had stress dreams all night because I'm living this every single day. And when you've spent your whole career in government, public policy, public service, uh, to see your country so undermined by the pro-authoritarian worldview of a single man and the cult of personality created around him is disturbing. It is worth losing sleep over, but it's also worth fighting about. Uh, you know, it's it's worth fighting against. What worries me, Michael, actually more than anything, is that people have gotten so tired. Donald Trump wore them out over the four years he was president. And a lot of them are tired. They don't want to be in the fight anymore and, and they feel like, okay, well, we beat him in 2020. Let's just take a breath. I mean, we were all exhausted. We wanted to make politics boring again. We wanted Joe Biden to come in and just be a, a boring ass president. No one wanted any. Uh, and, and he wanted that more than me is just, you know, so we could all take a break. Uh, but the fight didn't end on November 3rd. It just began on January 6th because uh, the willingness of Republicans, many Republicans to embrace the big lie created the, this universe of mini Trumps that we've talked talked about. I mean, the spawn of Trump is everywhere around this country and people are falling over themselves uh, to seem more like him. You know, Carrie Lake, who's running for governor in Arizona. Is just about one of the wackiest people I've I've seen in politics. Uh, You know, there's this guy that's running against Captain Mark Kelly in Arizona, patriotic, democratic, unifying, moderate senator. Uh, He's being challenged by a guy who, in his latest advertisement, filmed a video on a rooftop using nunchucks uh, to show how much of a tough guy he was. Go watch that video. He doesn't wield nunchucks very well. Um, But you know, these guys are just falling all over themselves to look crazier and crazier and Trumpier and Trumpier. Uh, And it's really infecting our politics. And we can't be exhausted by the past four years. Those who are tired of this need to find the energy to stay in the fight, whether it's at the grassroots and coming and joining us at RenewAmericaMovement.com or whether it's going to run for office yourself. But we cannot tap out. Now is not the time to tap out of politics. Now is the time for sane people to stay in. And, And you do it every week, Michael. I mean, you're out there continuing to bang your head against the wall and make sure people know what's going on here. And to tell them, don't get tired. Stay in this. Wake up and pay attention because there's people who want to take over your country and do pretty bad things with it.
2: And that's why I spend so much time still working with the AG here in New York, the DA and a series of other uh, organizations that are still investigating in order to stop Donald Trump. But it's funny that you say that because you know, in doing this show, this isn't just a um, uh, off-the-cuff type show. I do research and so on. And we learn things. There are things that... I just didn't know that come to light. And, you know, there's an NPR story earlier this week that imagined the nightmare scenario of Donald Trump as Speaker of the House if the GOP wins back the majority in 2022. And this is what I'm saying. I didn't know that you don't have to be elected to be chosen as Speaker of the House. I mean, that that to me is crazy. But what it really is, is it's a potent reminder of what's really at stake here in 2022. Now, hypothetically, even if Trump is not made speaker, if in fact the Republicans take the House, that still leaves Kevin McCarthy, which is really the same as having Trump holding the gavel, because he's become subordinate to Donald. He's become his little lapdog. If you would, discuss this with me and my listeners, because it was something that I didn't know, and it's something that scares the shit out of me.
4: Yeah, I mean, both scenarios are scary. Um, I'd said that I think uh, maybe as far back as last year or the beginning of this year that if, if Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker, it's really Donald Trump's hand on the gavel. That's scary enough. But I was having lunch with a member of Congress yesterday who said, yeah, this talk about the Republicans potentially making Donald Trump speaker of the house is actually happening. There are elected Republicans in the House of Representatives, that believe if they get the majority, it would be wise to make Donald Trump speaker. And again, as you note, for your listeners' edification, you don't have to be a congressman or a congresswoman to be named speaker. They could name anyone. They could make Michael Cohen speaker of the House. They could make Miles Taylor speaker yes. of the House. Yeah,
2: yes, go. Democrats, listen, make Michael Cohen, make Michael Cohen speaker of the House. There you go. I promise you, I'll make sure Merrick, I'll make sure Merrick Garland opens up 16 investigations by Monday morning.
4: Well, you, you sure as hell wouldn't run the place in the cockamamie way that Donald Trump would run it. And I think that's really worrying. There's real talk about if they take back the majority, is there is there some avenue to make Donald Trump the speaker? And that's why NPR ran that story. And, and frankly, we're going to be out there around the country as we're engaging with voters, explaining this, explaining this, not to... You know, instill fear in them, but to just show them the reality that it's gotten that crazy out here that they want to find the fastest way to put Donald Trump in office. Do, do you realize that they made Donald Trump Speaker of the House, he would be third in line to the presidency? Joe Biden, as we all know, is, he's, he's aging. He's very, very old. Then Kamala Harris is the vice president, and then boom, Donald Trump would be third in line to the presidency within striking distance if they pulled some crazy maneuver like that. Now let's hope there's enough sane Republicans to say, no, we wouldn't do that. But I don't trust my own party. I don't trust the Republican party enough not to do something like that. Our politics have gotten so unpredictable and so crazy. We're now in the realm of possibility here for Donald Trump to end up uh, you know, a, a year and, and four months from now, uh, potentially as the US Speaker of the House. That is scary. That is, as we've said in this conversation, spooky as hell. And it is a reason why voters should go to the polls and consider, especially if they're disaffected Republicans like me, voting for a Democrat rather than letting our politics continue to spiral uh, under the the ever watchful eye of Donald Trump.
2: Well, Recently, Trump handed Democrats what many of us would term a gift for the midterm elections when he stupidly stated that Republicans won't vote unless 2020 election fraud is fixed. Now, if he tanks another election for the GOP, will this be when Republicans finally push back against this MAGA agenda and then just finally say, I've had enough? Yeah. No more.
4: There'll become a point where. Uh, Republicans who've supported, at, uh, supported him really just get tired of losing. Donald Trump has cost the Republican Party the White House, the U.S. House of Representatives, and the United States Senate. He's a loser. He can't get to 50. He can't get to 50 percent. Um, and, you know, he's a ball and chain on the Republican Party if they want to win. So certainly if he loses again and causes them to lose, I hope that wakes Republicans up around the country. But um, you know, he's still managed to find a way to plant his, inf- you know, to spread his influence uh, around the country like Johnny fucking Appleseed. I mean, he's just walking around the country and sprinkling Trumpism every place that he lands, and that goes all the way down to the state party level, as he's really worked hard to hijack the state parties around the country and install Trump loyalists. So even if Republican members of Congress start to turn on Donald Trump, we've got a nationwide problem here of Trumpism. Uh, infecting politics at the local level, that's going to take us some time to root that out. But yeah, Michael, you're right. I mean, the best way to start doing that is just to demonstrate electoral defeat is the end result, the ultimate end result of Trumpism. And let's hope that's the ultimate end result, because if we continue to have Trumpists in our politics, the ultimate end result is just going to be the death of democracy, period, full stop. Um, But let's hope the end result is just electoral defeat for the folks who associate themselves with him.
2: Well, yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But in terms of the viability of the GOP moving forward, do you see a way back for the party to a place it once occupied, both politically and culturally? Or do you think that Trump and MAGA so badly soiled the Republican brand that it's forever stained and the GOP will have to continue to tack further and further to the right to satisfy the base. And I ask you this question because Miles as you, you know, appropriately stated at the beginning of this podcast, you're a Republican. You've been a Republican your entire life. Now, I've been a Democrat my entire life. But you've been a Republican and now you're actually setting up an organization, Renew America, in order to unseat Republicans that are in your estimation determined to be not in line with what you believe the party represents is there ever a way back or you know did trump in this maga nonsense did this so debase the party that there's no way to bring it back
4: well uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna use a tortured analogy let's use a football analogy i mean let's say michael that uh that your team is the new york giants is that am i right about that or am i wrong are you a Giants fan? Uh, I, I liked,
2: I liked, let's just say I like the Giants.
4: Let's say, let's say you're a fan of the Giants. But all of a sudden you find out that the general manager, the coach, and the quarterback are deliberately trying to rig the game so that the Giants always win. That they always win every single game. Well, it wouldn't be fun to root for the Giants anymore because then you'd say, well, and I should have used the Patriots for this analogy, but that's probably going to offend too many Bostonians that are listening because that's close to what the Patriots did. But let's say the New York Giants are trying to rig every single game so they just they win it. Was a Giants man, you'd say, Well, that's not a lot of fun. I go to football games because they're fun. I want to go and see competition and the possibility that the other side wins. Yeah, I want my team to win, but if my team wants to just destroy the game then I'm going to start rooting against other teams to beat them because I don't want to see the game just become there's one champion every single year. No one's going to fill up stadiums for that. Now, in our democracy, the stakes are a lot higher. And right now, there's one team that wants to rig the game to the point that they're going to destroy the game. And we're seeing that in uh, states across the country as Republicans pass repressive voting laws meant to give them an advantage, not meant to make voting freer and more fair and more secure, but to give them an advantage. That is wrong. And so I think that shows that the sickness within the GOP is going to last for quite some time. And the stain will be on the party for quite some time. And it's not unlike the stain that was on the Democratic Party in the wake of the U.S. Civil War, where you had the party of slavery, the party that was against abolition, and the Republican Party, was the party of free people. Um, It took the Democratic Party a generation to shake that stain of its support of slavery in the South. There's now a stain on my party, the Republican Party, an anti-democratic stain that is going to take probably a generation for us to shake. But it's important for this country that it does. It's important for this country that the GOP not fall into disarray and in shambles and that we have a single party system. There would actually be nothing worse for our country than to become a single party system with just the Democratic Party. We need, like any other marketplace, competition and choice for the political marketplace to thrive. If you only had one choice when it came to takeout and it was McDonald's, yeah, I I like a Big Mac every now and again, but I don't want to eat it every goddamn day. And that's why I want competition and choice when I go pick up food. Uh, And and in the consumer marketplace, the same thing needs to be had in our democracy. We need competition and choice for this democracy to stay healthy. And that means we need a reasonable Republican Party to eventually reemerge. So, yes, I hope we can reform the GOP. It will take some time. But in the meantime, we need to open up our democratic system to make it easier for third party candidates, third parties, independent candidates to be successful in this process. So we're not uh, a country slowly veering towards single party rule.
2: Yeah, look, it's it, it's scary because even assuming the Republican Party disappears, you'll have a faction of the Democratic Party, which will then become like the Republican Party, and then you're going to see Democrats go even further left, and you're going to have that same divide because, again, Trumpism has created that divide. He's created the ability to be a racist, sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semite and feel justified. Well, why shouldn't I? The president or the former president is exactly the same and he's telling us that it's okay. That's that's the problem here. So whether you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, it's really more what you stand for, who you stand for, who is the You know, the representative that sort of has the same values. And I appreciate there are people who are pro-life. I also appreciate the fact that there are people who are pro-choice. You have the right to think what you want, but you don't have the right to go out with an AR-15 and start shooting up a place because you don't like the next guy's opinion. That's the problem. And we have just gone off the, you know, just completely off the rails when it comes to this sort of behavior. But, you know, as we're winding down, I want to ask you two last questions. There's a strong likelihood for a Trump subpoena to appear before the January 6th committee. Now, should he refuse to comply, it appears now he could be held in criminal contempt and face prison just like Steve Bannon will. The question is whether or not the Merrick Garland DOJ is actually willing to go that far to uphold the rule of law. Do we risk martyring Trump and Bannon with these measures, or is that irrelevant and they must be held accountable just as they would hold you accountable, just as they held me accountable?
4: Yeah, I mean, my gut on this, Michael, and I'm not a lawyer, and, and, and you've, you've had the legal training I haven't had, but I am someone who's spent a lot of time on oversight committees in Congress, and I think that we have to treat the oversight responsibilities of the legislative branch, which, by the way, Uh, the Founding Fathers put the legislative branch as Article 1 of the Constitution, not Article 2 or Number 3, Article 1, because it was closest to the people. And so the responsibilities, the authorities of that branch of government are critically important. And um, if they are exercising their oversight powers on a bipartisan basis, which they are, as part of the January 6th Select Committee, those powers should be respected. And I think they should be able to subpoena Donald Trump and bring him up to testify. He's, he's the front row witness to the January 6th insurrection. We need to hear from him. If he doesn't comply, very serious consideration needs to be given to the same thing that they're doing with Steve Bannon. Very serious consideration uh, needs to be given to the idea of holding him in contempt. The one thing that worries me though, Michael, is we've got to approach that process without any hint of politics. And, and DOJ will have to consider that uh, you know on its merits because the last thing we want is, uh, is in the future, let's say the, you know, Kevin McCarthy takes the House, them trying to depose former Democratic presidents uh, and hold them in contempt on a range of things. So that needs to be done by the book, and they need to set a real precedent for that. But look, bottom line is, yes, Donald Trump should be held accountable. Uh, the American people should hear from him. And he's a private citizen like any other and should be treated like a private citizen like any other. So if he refuses to comply with a congressional subpoena, I hope the Justice Department does its job.
2: Yes, but the problem is it will never be considered bipartisan. It will never be considered nonpartisan because just as, look, the last, last point I want to bring up because, you know, the hour goes by quickly, but you may have heard that Donald Trump, I mean, talk about the greatest fucking grift on the planet. The guy never ceases to amaze even me. The guy now opens a new social media company. Right. And they're showing that there's a he did it through a SPAC. I suspect it was some sort of a maybe a reverse merger into a shell corporation or what have you. But he, along with a group of other individuals, opens up this social media platform uh, through this SPAC. Uh, And they claiming that the reason that they did it because he got thrown off of Twitter. So now instead of it being called tweets, it's going to be called Truths. Something that the guy doesn't, wouldn't know if it bit him right in his fat ass. Truth, right? Guy's the biggest fucking liar on the planet. But they gave it, what bothered me the most is that it's already showing. It's up 365% in terms of the spec. Now, mind you, it's closely held. They can play and manipulate the numbers. There's no revenue. There's no, there's no income stream. There are no advertisers. There's no programming. There's nothing. It's not even up and functioning. And yet they're showing greater than a $1.7 billion valuation. He wants to use things like this. And again, I say that he's not going to run um, for the presidency in 2024. But if he can get something like this social media platform up and running, that just makes him that much more powerful in order to control the Kevin McCarthy's, you know, the the Josh that all of them. That's the biggest problem. He's now trying to create a platform that he could create what is and what is not the truth, which is no different. Again, and I say it a lot on this program, the statement that he most reveres of Vladimir Putin is it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the vote. In this case, it doesn't matter what the truth is or what a lie is. It's what I determined to be the truth. That's what this man is looking to do. How do you stop something like this?
4: I don't know. it's, It's pretty worrying, Michael. I think you and I both engaged online at one point. There was a, maybe a, a poll on Twitter, and it was, what should Donald Trump's new social media company be called? And I, I said it should be, instead of Instagram, it should be called Instasham. Um, and and then I think you or someone else said, instead of Facebook, it should be Facecrook. I mean, that's what this new platform uh, is going to be. Like you said, it's going to be his next grift. And I can only hope it goes the way of Trump steaks and Trump vodka and Trump airlines and Trump university and the Trump administration, which is out of business. So, you know, maybe they please are Please don't
2: please don't forget, please don't forget Trump casinos, <laughs> let's not forget Trump steaks, <laughs> Trump vodka, uh I mean, you know, uh the uh what do you call it, the Trump multi marketing, you know, and all that other nonsense. Yeah, that's where it needs to go.
4: He is he is he is the poster child for failure, so I can only hope that uh this platform meets the same demise because folks realize it's a grift uh, and it's not worth being on it. But uh, I think the bigger concern, as you know, Michael, is that he is trying to maintain uh, power nationwide, is trying to maintain influence nationwide. So even if he doesn't run for president in 2024, he wants to remain kingmaker until the day he dies. And whether that's uh, hijacking you know, mainstream media and whether it's playing in political races, Uh, He wants to remain in our politics. Donald Trump will never exit our politics, even beyond the grave one day. He will still exert influence because he has planted these seeds of conspiracy theory and pro-authoritarianism in our politics. So it's going to take a long time for us to shake off the specter of Donald Trump. But it starts not with folks like you or me at the grass tops. It starts at the grassroots with folks rejecting this, rejecting the big lie, you know, rejecting these platforms that he's trying to start, and sending a demand signal, which is the only thing he understands. Uh, you know, he claims to be a big-time businessman. Then let's send a demand signal that uh, staying in our politics is not going to be profitable for him. Let's kick him out of the picture, and we can do that by delivering defeat to the candidates that he endorses around the country. So I do appreciate you having highlighted that, Michael. I mean. We're on the front lines of that fight with Renew America movement. We encourage your listeners to come join us and stand side by side in this fight. Uh, It's not over yet. Again, it didn't end end on January or on November 3rd. It really started on January 6th. And we're going to keep fighting that through the midterms and beyond.
2: Well, let me be really clear about this. The reason he wants to stay in politics, not because he cares about anyone or anything, he is now seeing it is the easiest and the greatest grift where he could raise a hundred million dollars by going after you know, some statement made by Joe Biden. He realizes that why should I build a building and pull down after taking risk, financial risk? Here, he has no financial risk. It's all about what he can enhance and enrich himself at the expense of people. And most of the people that are donating to him don't have the money within which to be donating. But Miles, let me thank you for your time. Uh, Obviously, you realize I'm gonna have you on again, and you're right, we have a lot to do together um, You know, as people who actually care. So again, I wanna thank you for your time today, your insight, your wisdom, uh, and everything that you're doing to help to keep our democracy safe and strong. So thank you for that. Thank
4: you, brother, for staying in the fight, and thanks for having me on. You got it. Be well, my friend
2: and now for today's mea culpa. In speaking with Miles Taylor, I'm reminded of how much is at stake for these midterm elections. Should the GOP retake the House and Senate, any hope of accountability for Trump and his co-conspirators for their role in January 6th will come to an abrupt end. The whitewash will be complete and once again, fucking Trump will have been allowed to run out the clock and avoid responsibility for his actions. Then there is the nightmare prospect of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House and Trump's ruling by fiat from Mar-a-Lago. The GOP is doing everything in their power to make this happen by passing draconian election laws that threaten to undermine future elections. The possibility of Merrick Garland prosecuting Trump remains a tantalizing prospect and would be quickly change the tenor of the 2022 election. But we should not count on his intervention. More realistic is the potential for Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis to indict the former president for attempting to overturn the vote in Georgia. One only needs to listen to that phone call to know that a felony has been committed. These are the folks who will rescue the country from the grips of MAGA tyranny, not Merrick Garland. Instead, It will be D.A. Willis in Georgia and New York Attorney General Letitia James and District Attorney Cyrus Vance bringing the most likely charges. And that's how this will end for Trump. Not with some big showdown with the Department of Justice. Instead, he's about to get his fucking ass handed to him by two or three hardworking men and women who are making it their mission that this man sees the inside of a prison cell. Let's help make that happen. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth.